Welcome to our Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whippeck, a partner at Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. He is our managing partner and our chief investment officer. Jeff, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Jeremy. So Jeff, uh, we've had a lot of uh, interesting comments with regard to some of the interest rate movement. Obviously, this is something that's received a lot of coverage just in anticipation of it. And now that day is finally here where we saw meaningful changes in the 10-year, 20-year, 30-year interest rates that uh, are being applied to different uh, coupon instruments. And Jeff, if you don't mind, can you kind of summarize some of those shifts that uh, have occurred and then we can jump into what that means and why people are paying such close attention to this? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, um, let's take a couple steps back when we're talking about coupon instruments, what we're really talking about is bonds. Uh, So if we're gonna be speaking English here, uh let's what we're talking about is is having uh yields shifting uh so when a bond is uh, a bond is basically uh kind of like a mortgage uh, you're basically uh the u.s government is issuing it in this case where they're borrowing money in order for uh, them to pay off our deficit is essentially what goes on within the treasury and uh because they are borrowing constantly they uh have uh, issued different length of time bonds for themselves. So if you can imagine buying your house and going, oh, well, I think some of it I'm going to pay off you know, real quickly and some of it I'm going to put out further and I'm going to even have further payments. Uh, so they, they, because they're borrowing multiple times, have an option of where they're putting out their, their uh, treasury bonds and bills and notes, so so speak. So again, a bond is a long-term, a note is intermediate term, a bill, when you hear about it, is short-term uh, in nature with uh, with um, its viewpoint. So bills are typically under a year, uh, bonds are typically you know, 10 year plus, and, and notes are typically between a one and a 10 year time period. Um, so what we're looking at right now uh, to your, your statement is to have seen yields moving uh, the tenure treasury is one that's looked at a lot. And the reason why it's looked at a lot is uh, oftentimes it's being used uh, for other debt instruments like mortgages. Um, and so when people are looking at you know, what's going on there, you know, if rates are going up, then it means the mortgages are gonna get more expensive. It also means that you know, things are getting more expensive for the government uh, and so on, because that's their borrowing rate. Um, so as we see borrowing rates go up and down, it, it really kind of has an influence on on the rest of, of the the fixed income market. So perfect. So Jeff, then you talked about some of the implications that uh, that it has on things like mortgages and uh, other instruments that are tied to that. Also, people will look at it and make inferences on equity investments. So things that historically aren't bonds or aren't bond like. Why does it also influence those type of assets? Uh, it's a great question. I mean. And, and one that most people probably would not connect well, because you are talking, you know, one is a equity and one is a debt instrument. So why, why is it that a debt instrument would have that influence on an equity market? And here's the long and short of it. So we gotta, we gotta set a little bit of, of uh, ground knowledge first before we can kind of get into the actual answer. So the one thing to keep in mind with bonds is there is an inverted relationship between the price of the bond and the yield of the bond. Now that's a, a mouthful in and of itself, but just imagine kind of a seesaw. You got your fulcrum point in the middle, and on one side you've got interest rates, on the other side you've got price. So as price goes up, yields go down and value. So as we're talking about this, the one thing to note 
is having the 10-year treasury going up in yield means that prices have been coming down. So if you're an investor in the 10-year already, you've been losing money this year uh, being involved in your fixed income product there. Now, why is there an inverted relationship? You know, Jeremy, uh, you've heard me use this example, but I'm going to use you in it uh, instead of a, a guest uh, when we've done speaking events. But imagine if I came to you and I said, hey, Jeremy, I need $100,000. Um, I need to borrow it from you. We're in a zero interest rate environment. Um, you know, maybe you know, because it's an individual or maybe because I need it for 10 years, you're going to charge me 5% above uh, Fed funds rates. With Fed funds rates being at zero, okay, I got a 5% loan. Uh, so I'm going to pay you a $5,000 a year for 10 years. And in 10 years time, I'm going to give you your $100,000 back. I pay you, in this case, semi-annually, uh, which is what goes on with bonds. Imagine if Fed funds rates rose. Okay, so we've got interest rates going up. You know, so yesterday or last week, I signed you know, the first contract with you. Rates go up you know, miraculously 2% overnight. Well, the new going rate should be 7%, not 5% if we're talking about Fed funds rates going up. So you should be getting 7,000. Instead, you're only getting five. And so if rates have gone up that quickly, the bond price will have gone down to offset that $2,000 differential uh, in the open market. So if you were gonna turn around and sell my debt to somebody else, you would have to, to take a discount or a loss in your bond in order to sell it in the open market. So that's setting the ground rules. So your question was, why does that matter? You know, what's the implication? So the, there's more risk, right, Jeremy? I mean, if you if you gave me a one month loan, that's a lot less risky than a 10 year or a 20 year or a 30 year loan, right? Sure. So when we're looking even at the US government, you get compensated more for the duration of the bond that you have chosen. So the maturity date. So are you gonna choose a 10-year loan, a 20-year loan, a 30-year loan when you're when you're doing your house? You know, you've got a choice of a 15 fixed, a 10-year, a seven arm. You know, you got a lot of different options. The government does as well. And they're gonna pay you less for the money that's not away from your hands for longer. So typically the the yield curve starts. Down, I mean, if we're looking at kind of bottom left to top right, it starts lower for the short term, that where the, the shortest duration would be on the left side, all the way out to a 30-year, where you're going to be expected to be paying more. So when a yield curve flattens or when it inverts, historically speaking, that is a precursor to a recession. And so in dealing with that, uh, and the reason why that matters so much is what ends up happening is that people start selling their short-term fixed income. Now, why? Okay, so normally, not in a right, right, zero interest rate environment like we've got going on right now, because you can't get lower than zero with the Fed funds, as at least we have not gotten lower. We've got not gone negative like a lot of other countries have. But let's just say for our purposes, zero is the floor. You can't go down further than that. But let's say that we're, we're back before uh, what went on with COVID, where we had rates sitting at two, two and a half percent. The Federal Reserve is going to lower rates to combat a recession. That's a form of stimulus. You make lending cheaper, okay? So if you're making lending cheaper, you're, you're lowering rates uh, in order to make it easier for people to borrow 
and turn around and spend that money. So if we're looking at that, a person who has short term and even some of the intermediate term, they don't want to take a pay cut. They don't want their bond to mature. And then the next time they get a new bond, have it be 25 basis points or 50 basis points lower than what it was. So they choose to sell it now. So when they start getting indications that a recession is looming and that looks like the Federal Reserve, based upon probabilities, is going to start lowering rates, they sell their short-term stuff and they buy long-term stuff. So if we have more sellers than buyers, what happens to the price, Jeremy? The price will go down. Exactly. You've got more people trying to sell something. So it's a, a buyer's market. Price goes down, uh, yields go up. So your short-term yields start going up because you've got more selling pressure. So again, think about that, that um, uh, seesaw. You got more selling pressure. So more price pressure down, yields are going up. That's going on on the short-term side. And then they're turning around and taking that money and they're buying in the intermediate and long terms. So now you got buying pressure. More buyers and sellers, so your price is going to go up. Yields are going to go down. And so that's why, you know, when you're looking at a, at a historical sense of what's going on, um, that's why the yield curve matters. We do have some strange stuff going on right now, though. And it is stuff that I think is worth talking about um, in the fact that we've got over $15 trillion of negative yielding debt. If you look at Germany, if you look at France, you look at Japan, on the short end of their yield curves, you're not making money. So, I mean, as much as I was willing to pay you 5% per year, Jeremy, for my 10-year loan, imagine if I came to you and said, okay, I've got the best investment for you in the world, Jeremy. You give me 100 grand, and in 10 years' time, I'm going to give you back $97,000, guaranteed. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to be making payments at all during that 10-year time period. Are you game? Sounds like a great investment to me. <laughs> exactly. So what, so what are you seeing happen? So you, you do have that person sitting in Germany or sitting in Japan or sitting in France, and they're saying the same thing. I'm not going to sit there and put 10, mon 10 years worth of uh, money to work and have a guaranteed loss of 3%. So where are they buying? Right here in the good old US of A, right? So what ends up happening is that buying pressure is also influencing our yield curve like never before. We've also seen the fact, and this happened back in 2018, when the Fed was raising rates, people started to freak out that the yield curve was flapping. We felt like it was a, you know, a complete, you know, so 75% of the time, a flattened or inverted yield curve has happened before a recession. But that's kind of a lying by statistics. Not all recessions have had that happen beforehand. And so what I was looking at within it is you had the U.S. government selling. I mean, right now the U.S. government has over $4 trillion of treasuries. So while all of this was going on, while our economy was strong back in 2018 uh, and could absorb the Federal Reserve raising rates, they were just trying to normalize it so that they could have one of their little levers to actually help stimulate the economy if ever needed. So they raised rates into a really strong economy, but then they also started selling treasuries. So again, $4.5 trillion worth of treasuries they had, they dumped over half a billion dollars in a very short period of time on the short-term market. Again, if you're throwing out that kind of money, more sellers and buyers, the price is going to go up. So we had a, a, a flattening yield curve because you had 
foreigners buying our intermediate and long-term fixed incomes because they were losing money there, and the U.S. government trying to sell out from a, a treasury that uh, that they had owned and wanted to, again, get off their books eventually. Um, and you had kind of a perfect storm where people started reacting and saying, you know, a recession's coming, a recession's coming, where it really wasn't coming at all. So you can't sit there and go, okay, yield curve is flattening or normalizing, and therefore, you know, great things are coming on. You know, you really want to take it, it's an if-then kind of statement. If, if the yield curve is flattened or if it is inverted, then you got to look at, you know, why it's happening. Um, and if there's not, you know, a economic doom in the future, you really shouldn't be running for the hills. Yeah, Jeff, that was a great explanation of why we look uh, so closely at the yield curve and just kind of summarize what you said. I mean, it can be a leading indicator as to market expectations as to what's happening going forward. But to your point, it's not like you can consider it in a vacuum. You have to look at the bigger picture and see are there other explanations or other causes that may explain what's happening here. And so the flattening or uh, inversion of a yield curve can signal recession um, or the expectation of recession, probably more aptly said, but it can also signal the fact that, to your point, negative interest rates outside the U.S. meant it attracted a lot of buyers, which deflated yields. And that's now that we have history on our side and we can look back with 2020 vision, that's exactly what happened. And to your point, I don't know uh, how well that was understood. That's exactly what you explained at the time. So. Um, now that we can uh, know that you called that one correctly, we'll give you credit for that and say uh, it was a great read on what happened in the bond market. Um, going going forward, there's also implications on equity markets. And one of the things that I've seen tossed around is, is this going to impact equities because it's going to crowd out investment, meaning people are going to chase fixed income because they can now get, say, 1.5% versus 1% uh, just three months ago. Can you talk a little bit to that, what that looks like? Yeah, so I mean, what you're talking about is is we've had a a, a big rise in in rates um, on the the long end of the curve. So the ten-year Treasury has gone from 93 basis points at, at the first of the year. Uh, we're seeing it breaking 1.4% um, today. Uh, so I mean, that is a a big deal in some senses. I mean, really, what you're talking about with regard to that is you know, for a retiree that's looking for income, you know, you can go to the S&P 500 and buy stock and get on average 1%, or you can get 1.4. I think the issue is that from a historical standpoint, these numbers are so low that uh, you really probably are not gonna have much in the way of influence here, uh, because really what you're looking at is is 1.4% what most retirees can live off of. And, and I would say the answer is probably not. But you do have other things that are being influenced by that. Um, one of the reasons why we are seeing the yield curve um, is a sense that there may be inflation in the future. Um, we're also seeing uh, that within the dollar. And so it's, it's one of the things that we keep on talking to our retirees about is that you're not gonna be able to retire the way that people have retired in days past. I mean, the, the dollar, uh, you know, just even a year ago, was sitting in, in the 105, 108 range uh, with the uh, with the euro, um, and now it's sitting up in uh, the 121 range. I mean, so that means that anything in Europe just got a little bit about 10% more expensive for us. 
Um, that's an inflation. You know, our dollar is not going as far. Um, when you're sitting on 27, uh, almost, you know, soon to be 30 trillion uh, debt uh, in, in the way of U.S. government debt, the best way for them to be able to get rid of that is through having our currency devalue. So if, it, if the U.S. dollar becomes worth 50 cents abroad, then our 30 trillion really feels more like 15 and it's a whole lot easier to pay that off. And so really what we want to be looking at for our retirees is as much as you might be able to be getting a little bit more yield, inflation is going to be way higher than 1.4%. You know, you're going to be going out and you're going to be buying a fixed income product that where you are locked in for a 10-year time period. And what you're saying in that situation is that you're guaranteeing uh, to lose about six-tenths of 1% every year in buying power for the next 10 years. That's assuming that we stay at a 2% inflation rate. We're slightly uh, below that at the moment, but you know, historically speaking, we've been at more like three, three and a half percent. So you would be locking in at a historically low level um, and, and really hurting yourself. So to us, really, you need to be looking at this in the context of growing your portfolio. Um, the, the fixed income and the fixed income world um, has historically been the ballast at the bottom of the ship to stabilize it, make sure your portfolio wasn't too volatile uh, and so on. And, and unfortunately, in our current environment, you know, somebody that is nearing retirement or in retirement, uh, there's going to be very few people that are going to be able to go out and buy uh, the fixed income necessary in order to supplement their income needs in order to then be able to take risk with the uh, the rest of the portfolio in, in almost a riskless way. It's it's not there. They're going to have to put a large percentage of their money into the equity markets, and then they're going to have to look for growth. And that's where a firm like ours really comes into play, Jeremy, not to hurt myself, patting myself on the back here, but by the fact that we are as tactical as we are and how we are able to protect as much to the downside, uh, what we really talk about is what is risk. You know, by the end of, of 2008, we made back 100% of our clients' money by the end of 2009. We did the same thing last year. I mean, we got out of the way of about 50% of the downside risk of the markets. I think if you would, were to take our average client, they were down less than half of what was going on with the markets uh, as an overall and a weighted average basis. So, uh, and looking at that, that we did our job. So is risk a one-year downturn in the market or a few month time downturn in the market where we recover within 12 months, or is it a situation where somebody loses over a multi-decade time period their buying power and they're not gonna be aware of it? That's the scary part. So what we really wanna be looking at here is being in a situation where maybe our advice is not as orthodox as what you'll see in the books, but it's the right advice. You know, you gotta grow your money. If, if again, if you wanna travel abroad at all, and if you talk to any one of our clients, I would say, high on that list of goals is to travel. So if you're traveling outside of the United States, your dollars could be worth less. You better be growing it in order to offset that, in order to be able to continue to travel the way that you uh, want to in your retirement years. So that's really kind of some of the advice that I would throw out. Yeah, Jeff, I have a hunch this is going to be a topic that we revisit, uh, just given the big movement here, but really appreciate uh, you breaking down how fixed income works, how interest rates impact uh, the fixed income market and why we should be paying attention to that. So as always, thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Really appreciate oh, uh, your insights. So with that, everyone, thank you so much for uh, listening. And as always, be happy, be safe and be healthy.
Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.